As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As the end of summer slowly approaches, I think we all feel a bittersweetness in the air as we reflect on summer's past. Beaches visited, sleepovers had, the works. For some, the best part about summer is vacation. A week to just get away and relax, to unplug from the rest of the world and to just be in the moment with friends or family. But for quite a few people, summer is wedding season. According to Wedding Wire, 10% of weddings in the U.S. take place in August. So while others are relaxing on the beach, many are planning their trip down the aisle. My husband and I got married in March, but I can see the appeal of a summer wedding. Besides rain, there really isn't a threat of weather ruining your day. No one can get snowed in and miss a summer wedding. It can be challenging to find honeymoon spot for winter weddings, but not for those who decide to get married in summer. Like the couple in our story today, there are a plethora of options for a honeymoon. Like many others, our couple found a pill in cruising the Mediterranean Sea. According to Maritime Executive, some 28 million people around the world went on cruises in 2018, which is significantly higher than 2005 when our story takes place. With great food, lots of entertainment, and decent prices, there's ample appeal in taking to the seven seas. For our newlyweds, as summer was in full swing, their lives were being turned upside down. That July, as kids were eating popsicles and playing baseball, our family was searching for clues. At the height of promising futures, lives were changed forever. No one expected something bad to happen on a contained cruise ship, but something did happen. Something that ripped a family apart. Something that to this day remains unsolved. Will the answers to today's story remain lost at sea? This is the story of George Smith IV. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. 
With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Before we begin our show today, we wanted to remind you about our challenge. You guys were so awesome for getting us to our 15 written comment goals so quickly that I know that was several months ago, but we decided to up the ante. This one is a lofty goal, but we know that we need to set our sights high. Maggie and I want to get to 150 ratings on Apple Podcasts. We currently have 111, so we continue to inch up each week. But it does only take a split second if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts to click for that five-star rating. We have listeners from all over the world, so while this is a big ask, we know that you can do it. It has taken us a little bit longer to get to our goal this time of 150, but when we do, Maggie and I will do another bonus episode. Just make sure that you follow us on social media, Coffee and Cases Podcast on Facebook, or at Coffee Cases Podcast on Instagram, or as always, listen in each week to know when that bonus episode will air. Now, Maggie, let's get into our show. George Smith IV and Jennifer Hagel seemed, from the outside, the ideal couple. George was set to take over the family business. According to Mystery at Sea by Timothy DeMoss, George graduated with a business degree in 2000. While working as a computer search engine analyst in Boston, he began to tire of the solidarity hours behind the desk. He was a social creature after all, happiest among the hustle and bustle of people. In 2003, he went to work for his father, who owned a liquor store. One day, as the plan went, George would take over the business and allow his parents to go into retirement. Jennifer was an aspiring teacher. Both were described as lively and vivacious. In an interview with 48 Hours, George's mother and father talk in detail about how happy they were to have Jennifer in the family. And both were described as stunningly beautiful and ambitious. Well, I'd like to be described that way. Me too. I mean, that'd be nice. (laughs) I mean, you just wait till they describe this lady's engagement ring. Oh, no. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) George seemed like a happy-go-lucky guy. Many of the stories I read about him described a man who was the life of the party, someone who kept you laughing into the wee hours of the morning. George Smith, at 26 years old, was described as tall and deep-chested with broad shoulders, a handsome face, and twinkling blue eyes that reflected his kind and witty nature. So he was, like, I mean, he was good-looking. Yeah. I'll def- we'll definitely post a picture for you guys. And from all accounts, that same happy George was who disappeared from his cruise ship in the early morning hours of July 5th. So when Jennifer and George boarded All Was Well, they instantly hit it off with another married couple, Paul and Galena Nit. You say it, Allison. Say Nit- it. Nitniski. I'm so bad with names. <laughs> You all should see this. I even left her a note that said, tell me how to pronounce this. (laughs) The two couples hit it off immediately, and as a result, were seen by several guests hanging out and doing things together. According to a 48 Hours episode, Galena says they were great. They were just normal, down-to-earth, happy people. Jennifer and George loved all the sights they were able to see on their cruise ship when it docked at different ports, and I literally can only imagine that like in the Mediterranean Sea. Oh, I bet it was beautiful. Yeah. And they were on it for two weeks. Oh, must be nice. Yes. 
So there are dozens of photos that show the adventures they went on during their time at sea. Being social butterflies on dry land didn't change once these two hit the open water. Most nights they spent closing down the disco and the casino, which is totally opposite for me because I need to be in bed at a decent hour. <laughs> You're right. You're like, you have fun. I'd say you have fun. I'm going to go get an ice cream cone and then go to bed. <laughs> yeah. In an interview with George's father, he talks in depth about what a party animal George could be. He described him as the life of the party. And it was that love of partying that began the events that would ultimately lead to the death of George Smith IV. Okay, so I think we can establish don't go camping and mm -hmm. don't go out partying. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel or like if you can... Ship. Right. Yeah, or that. Or, well, gosh, I guess we could have lots of lessons if we looked at all of our different cases. But Yeah, I feel like this is like a horror movie. It's like, don't go upstairs. Right. Don't go in the closet. Right. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. Yeah. So around midnight on July 5th, 2005, the newlyweds headed to the casino. So from all the articles I read, this was apparently like where everybody who was like the age you could be admitted into the casino, that's where they hung out. So it was like a happening place. Okay. Jennifer, who was seen several times on security footage, spent most of the night at the blackjack table, while her husband spent most of his time at the craps table, and I had no idea what craps were. Is that with dice? That's what Anthony said, so I guess so. Is that where you do, like, snake eyes, or, like, you want to get a certain... I don't know. I I've never played so. it. I know, I know what blackjack is, but... Yeah. But yeah, I had no idea. But Anthony said it was what you said. Okay. So, so we'll go with that. Yeah. So right off the bat, like this is just weird to me. And like when I was watching some of the different videos and reading stuff, it just kind of came off weird to me. Mm -hmm. Like maybe I'm just too chicken, but like I could never see myself or you just being like, peace out, Rodney. I'm going to go play blackjack and you're gonna go here on this oh, no. cruise ship by myself like no i would way. never do that no we would be together everywhere yeah especially if you're on your honeymoon like yeah I wouldn't you think... want to be together yeah. everywhere because when anthony and i went to mexico one summer like even when i had to pee like he walked me <laughs> to wherever the bathroom was <laughs> right just to make sure you're safe <laughs> yeah like i'm not going by myself no now almost every person that described George and Jennifer talked about how nicely they dressed and how they looked like they liked to have nice things. Okay, so... That's just a I, nice way to say they sounded stuck up. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. Well, I didn't want to say that, but... Yeah, kind of, that is, like... I okay, mean, even when, they're used to creature comforts. I'll just say it that. That's a much nicer way to yeah, say it. Yeah, because even, like, when their parent or his parents talk about them, like, you can tell that he liked to have nice things which that's there's not anything no, bad with no. that but like i feel like you get a certain persona or like image sometimes when you're like that mm -hmm. and i think that followed him like into the cruise ship so like oh the way that they dressed and the things that they had made people think that they were wealthy right that's kind of that's kind of like i mean i carry a michael kors purse but my mo my mother-in-law bought it for me so like you know, I'm poor, so maybe it's, <laughs> like, maybe it's like the same thing. Right. But George was overheard by several guests bragging about a large sum of money that he had in the room. Why would but he do that? 
I think that is very stupid. I think maybe it was kind of like being a little bit pompous, mm-hmm. but I'm sure they did have a lot of money because people give you money at your wedding. So oh, that's I'm true. Sure they probably did. Yeah, all their wedding gifts. Yeah, and so he was like a really sharp dressed man, and he wore a super expensive watch, and like like I said, so many people, if you know like hey, that watch is expensive, you would probably think that they're rich. His sister even says, like, quote, I think George looked prosperous. Additionally, he wore a really nice watch that was worth a bit of money. People may have made the assumption he was a millionaire, even though he wasn't. Like, I can't even say the Mm. name of this watch company. Like, which isn't surprising, because it's me we're talking about. (laughs) But I guess they like for people to, to believe that they were wealthy even if they weren't yeah and that actually they his parents say that in the interview like that he liked to put off that image even though he wasn't his mom um even said that he bought her the biggest diamond you could ever see for their engagement from a south african jeweler and the wedding ring was even bigger wow yeah. I don't need all that. I mean, it, sure, it's nice, you know, and I can look and I can admire, but... Yeah, I would have married Anthony if he gave me a ring out of, like, a Cracker Jack box. Right. I know. And, like, I'm one of those people, too, with spending money. I mean, don't get me wrong. Again, I like to have nice stuff, but, like, I don't know. I can get a steak from a steakhouse where... And maybe somebody who's listening will think I'm crazy to say this, but, like, I can go to Kroger and buy the same filet and make it at my house. And it's $20 for a pound filet that Mm -hmm. I bought from Kroger. And to me, it tastes just as good as if I go to a steakhouse and I spend, you know, $80 for a six ounce filet. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely agree. But I looked up, so speaking of money, I looked up those watches. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, the cheapest one I saw on their website was, like, $4,000. Oh, my God. So, I mean, if you had an eye for those type of things, you would presume that, he, you know, you would assume he had money. Oh, absolutely. Saw that on yeah, yeah. So, um, obviously, I've never been on a cruise, but I'm assuming that if you're a social person, that you make friends on cruises and that you hang out with, like, a certain group of people, especially if you're on, like, a two-week cruise, like the Smithsburg. Yeah. I mean, I've been on several cruises, and where you really meet people, though, is at your dining session. So, like, when you book a cruise, you pick, like, do you want the early dinner, the late dinner, and they put you at a big table with other couples, and so you actually, like, you talk to them at all of the meals that you go to. Oh, well, maybe that kind of explains this, but Jennifer and George actually had a really large circle of friends on the cruise ship. Mm-hmm. So it included the couple whose last name I can't say. The Nitnitskis. Yes. Nitnitskis. And it also included a boy named Josh Askin and a group of Russian-American students two of which were cousins their name were zach and greg rosenberg and their friend rusty kaufman and so like throughout the story and then like i'm gonna probably just refer to them as russian americans because it's a lot of words to say all their names okay (laughs) so according to the mystery at sea article the russian americans had quite the reputation on board Mm. so and it's not a very good reputation 
So before dawn on July 4th, they are found smoking by the main pool on deck 11 by a security guard. Gregory, who they also refer to as Greg, was super arrogant and loud and kept saying, nobody can stop me. And they kept shouting the F word at the guard. No call for that. Yes, which I would never do. I'd be like, sorry, sir. (laughs) So they also had a reputation of abusing room service operators, which comes into play like as the story goes on. But on July 2nd, someone in stateroom... 3004, which is where Greg and Jeff stayed, mm-hmm. placed a gigantic, like, lavish order to room service, like, so much so that they got a visit from security. Oh, so thinking, like, somebody's messing with them, they're just yeah. order. Okay. Yeah, and on July 5th, they do that again. So it actually is reported that the room service operator was jotting down an order from 3004, so that room where they were at, uh-huh. when a voice in the background said, quote, hurry up and bring our mother effing food. Well, I mean, somebody... that sounds like Gregory. Yes. So. <laughs> <laughs> and so then somebody grabbed the phone out of whoever's hand was placing the order. And I guess that their luggage, some of their luggage had been misplaced. And they said, Quote, make sure to get our mother effing luggage tomorrow. And if you don't, I'll throw your mother effing ASS overboard. Oh, my gosh. Yes, I know. Who talks to people like that? Like, I wouldn't, like, I mean, I would never say that. But I guess this was just normal for them. So, again, they get a visit from security. And then um, the security supervisor tells them not to take any more food service calls from that room. Well, good for the security supervisor. Yeah. And that does come up again, like, later on. So, like, fast forward, and the casino's closing down. So, remember, they've been playing blackjack and craps. Right. Which is so weird, but whatever. (laughs) And Paul, their friend, the married friend, notes that George and Jennifer are very drunk. And so he urges them to call it a night, but they don't want to end the like festivities. Mm-hmm. So they head to the disco and this fate or this decision would seal the fate of George. Oh no. So as the cruise ship was pulling into dock at a city in Turkey, 16 year old Emily was on her balcony snapping pictures of the beautiful sunrise. So first off, kudos to you, Emily, for being up early enough to take pictures of sunrise. Absolutely. The photo she ends up capturing has since flooded the internet. A massive blood stain on a lifeboat canopy. Oh. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah, and actually, Allison, I'm gonna show it to you. Um, so we will be sure to post this picture so you guys can see it as well. And I'm actually going to ask Allison to describe to you, like, what the picture looks like. Okay. It is very disturbing. There is a large blood stain in one spot. It looks like it's pooled, actually. Like, there's a lot of blood. It's darker. And it's kind of, like, streaked. Like, I would imagine it's big enough where, like, if someone were laying down that it's it's almost like a torso maybe a torso head and like a limb mm-hmm. kind of I mean it's the way it looks it's not just like a straight street like it's going off yeah. in different yeah some people say that 
the bloodstain pattern suggests that it's like handprints and footprints as though somebody's like trying to stand so they fell and they're like trying to stand up and I can kind of see oh yeah the footprint kind of and then um a lot of people say like at the end like where it's kind of starts to fade that is like his heartbreaking attempt to hold on as the ship cuts through the water oh no that's sad which I think is horrific. I'm totally scared of drowning, so I can't even imagine. But, like, I don't know what else other than a person would have landed on the top of a lifeboat. Right. Create this blood pattern. Yeah. So, security officials are notified, and the search begins for the person who fell overboard. So, at this point, they don't know, like, who it is. So, they just know, like, right now they have a guest that's missing. Right. At the same time, Jennifer is making her way from her empty cabin to the ship's spa for a massage. Wait, wait. From her empty... So she knows George is not there. Yes, and I was hoping that you would catch it. She's going to get a massage. Yes. So she wakes up. She goes... Which I think I mentioned this later on, so it might be repetitive, but oh well. So she wakes up, and she sees that her husband isn't there, and she just assumes he spent the night with Paul and his wife. I mean, who would make that assumption? That's ridiculous. You're on your honeymoon. Yeah, why would why would you stay with your friend on your honeymoon? Uh, did they separate at the disco? Because if they went okay. to the disco together, then you would think that they would have gone back to the room together. So a lot happens at the disco. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jumping ahead. So she is getting massaged, and she actually gets summoned to guest relations. And once she gets there, she's kind of stunned to see that Paul and Galena are also there because they've been interviewed by um, the people on the ship to see if they've seen George that day. And that is when the horrific news that George is presumed lost at sea, it goes through the room. So up to this point, she has no idea. Yeah, she has no idea why she's being called. Hmm. She still thinks he's like sleeping in Paul's room. So everyone was shocked. Nobody knew what was happening. Nobody could really understand anything. And Galena actually told 48 Hours that Jennifer just kept repeating she didn't understand and that she couldn't remember anything. So like she says that over and over again in the interview with guest relations and that she just wanted to call her dad. So it won't surprise you that she doesn't remember when I tell you the state that she was found in. Oh, Lord. Okay. So Jennifer has zero memory of leaving the disco like none and like I said she had assumed that she awoke to an empty cabin because George was staying with Paul and Galena so you know weird but I'm not gonna judge you whatever so she thought nothing of his absence when she made her way to the spa and Jennifer kudos to her for being able to get up at like seven o'clock in the morning because she didn't make it to her bedroom until like 4 50 a.m. So you go, girl. So Jennifer was actually found by hotel staff, and I'll kind of go into detail about that a little later, passed out in the hallway that morning. Oh, no. So she's a mess. She's a hot mess. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, again, like, I would never put myself into that situation, but I know I'm just like a worrier, and a lot of people don't worry about that kind of stuff. But, like, that would be my thought the entire time if I was to drink on a cruise ship is that I would be like kidnapped or 
someone would like drug me or something. So by this time, Turkish police had boarded the ship because remember they're docked in Turkey. So the Turkish police would be over any type of investigation. Right. And I know things are done differently in other countries. And obviously the United States doesn't have a perfect judicial system as you right. know, we see in the news every day. But I just feel like the way that some of this case was handled, like, kind of makes me want to scratch my head. So when mm. police board the ship, they call Josh, Rusty, Zach, and Greg, so the four friends that the couple made, to the ship lobby. So none so of I the think, women are called. Okay. Right. That's and weird. so while they're in the lobby, they interview them all together at the same time. Uh, that's totally not what you do either. Which because, I think is weird. Yeah, you want to get it separately because if different people don't know what another person's saying and they report the same thing, then it's a way to like corroborate evidence. Right, and I'm wondering if that's just like a United States thing or like, hmm. like I don't know what other countries' policies are. Right. But Josh's father is there too. And he actually secretly records parts of the interview, which is probably illegal, but you know. <laughs> But he did it. But he did it. So in one scene, Rusty actually puts his hand like up to his mouth like he's in complete shock. And like his jaw kind of drops open. Which I'll leave my comments about these people to the end. But okay. you'll you'll see why. I just find this hard to believe. And they're all like, oh my god, this is crazy. Like super shocked. Mm-hmm. But videos that are later released throw their shock and concern into question. Oh, like, yeah, this would be when it would go like dun dun dun. <laughs> so the four men that I mentioned above don't really come into the picture until around two thirty when the casino's closing down. Okay. So like I mean, you see security footage of them playing games or whatever with the married couple, mm-hmm. but like. They don't really play any significance until around 2.30. So it's then, according to 48 Hours, that Josh notices an awkward moment between newlywed Jennifer. So George's Jennifer. Yeah, George's Jennifer and casino manager Lloyd. Hmm. I wonder awkward how. So he goes on to say that it's awkward because Lloyd puts his arm around Jennifer in what appeared to be an embrace while husband George was on the elevator. He said it was briefly, but it was like awkward enough that it drew his attention to them. Hmm. So could Jennifer have played a role in the death of her husband? Gosh, I don't, I mean, hmm. I'm torn on this one right now. Mostly because, I mean, there are a lot of creepy people out in this world, men and women, Mm -hmm. and I've known people who can be touchy, and they don't realize that you have personal boundaries and you don't want to be touched. Yeah, and I also feel like a casino manager would need to be, like, like really, like, peppy and people-y, and so maybe he's just as, like, hey, like, as a, you know, a friend or whatever. Right. Like, that doesn't make me automatically jump into this, like, oh, yep, she did it. She's, yeah. you know, with somebody else or something like that. I agree. So when everybody arrives at the disco, the guys start taking shots of absinthe. Mm-hmm. Which so I super also, strong. Yeah, I didn't know what it was, so I had to ask anything. <laughs> <laughs> he said that it was, like, a super strong 
like liquor and that mm-hmm. sometimes it can cause hallucinations i guess yeah so according to the mystery at seas article um on july 1st the smiths caught a taxi into florence with the askin family so like josh's parents and their kids and the smiths all share a taxi into florence okay and so while they're there josh who at the time is 20 oh so he's pretty young okay yeah um which i know drinking age is different in europe than it Mm -hmm. is in america so he buys a bottle of absinthe and as us americans know that is like banned in the united states and he convinces George to smuggle it aboard the ship. Okay, again, I, I'm not, I don't break rules. Like, no. <laughs> nothing about this story is, is am I thinking like, oh, uh, yeah, I could see that. Nope, I wouldn't do that either. No, I'd be like, um, Josh, we're not allowed to do that. Right. Sorry, should have thought about like, that. If, free yeah, if you want to take the risk, you go right ahead, but not me. So, um, George is just like, okay, sure, and takes the bottle of alcohol into his waistband and just like strolls right on up to the ship yeah that mm, nope again i'd be like oh my gosh who who has noticed this they're gonna see this under my shirt and somebody's gonna stop me yeah i'm the person that i don't even sneak candy into the movie theater because i'm like it's illegal right (laughs) they're gonna arrest you yeah i will pay five dollars for that little box of sour patch kids because you told me i had to So fast forward a few days later and everybody in their group is shamammered. They are highly mm. intoxicated. So a lot of people that saw this group of friends described Jennifer as flirty and drunk around like 3.30 that morning. So the Askins attorney actually paints a super cozy picture of Jennifer and Lloyd. So the Wait, the casino, casino guy? Mm-hmm. Nestling up together on a couch. Okay, now that's weird. But part of me is like, I think this is fabricated because nobody except Josh reports that. Like, nobody else said anything about that. And if they're all there, you'd think somebody else would see it. Right. So, Rusty's attorney, one of the Russian-American friends, told 48 Hours that he didn't hear the conversation but saw the repercussions of said conversation when Jennifer kicks George in the no-no area and storms off. Like, this does not seem to me like, I don't know. I could see how, I know you said you start to question this group. Uh And I could see how, like, if you were responsible, but you wanted to lay the blame on Jennifer, then you would kind of, fabricate a story like this like she was getting cozy with another guy but then you think george would be the one who's upset not jennifer kicking george you know between his legs right storming off but people um actually add to the story and say that george called jennifer a hussy and then she kicked him between the legs oh so that's why she kicked him so you know either way jennifer is mad and she leaves the casino or I'm sorry, the disco, in care of Lloyd. So again, with that's, okay. So to clear up any misconceptions that could be floating around in our listeners' heads, both Lloyd and Jennifer pass FBI polygraph tests, 
and key scans show that once Lloyd gets Jennifer on the elevator, he actually goes to his room with his girlfriend. Oh, well, that seems to say to me that there wasn't anything because if there was something, why wouldn't he have stayed with in yeah. her in her room with her? Especially because right. George isn't there. Right, exactly. So nobody realizes actually how disoriented Jennifer is. So when she gets off the elevator, she goes right instead of left toward their room. She actually just keeps wandering until she comes to a dead end, the ship's bow, and there she slumps to the floor unconscious. Oh, that explains why she was found passed out on the floor. Yeah. Like so she this couldn't where, find her room. Yeah. So this, that's where she is found um, several hours later by hotel staff, and they actually take her back to her room, and I'll talk about that here in just a second as well. Okay. So George stays in the disco just 15 minutes like longer than when Jennifer left. So it's not like an extraordinarily long amount of time he's in there without her. Mm -hmm. So by 345, he's apparently so drunk on vodka and absent that his four friends, so the Russian Americans and Josh, somehow who are, you know, completely, totally sober or How in enough. How's that happen? That's what I'm saying. I mean, they might not be sober, but they are like sober enough that they take him back to his room and that they put him to bed. Now, Paul did state that he thought George was kind of a lightweight and that he would show signs of being intoxicated after only three or four beers. So maybe that could have something to do with it. You know, maybe like alcohol just had a more profound effect on him. I'm not really sure. But um, when they come back to the room, George is concerned because his wife isn't there. And so he enlists the help of his four friends to search for her. But the search literally lasts nine minutes. And then oh, they come so, back empty handed. So at 401. Not, not really a search. Yeah, they go and to I the would, pool and the like deck 13. And then I they come back. I would hope that if I were missing, that Rodney wouldn't be like, Oh, well, it's been five minutes. I've looked long enough. Yeah. So I'll just. He's obviously gone. Forever. Right. Now, I'm super confused, though, because at this point, and I'm sure you'll get to it. First, Jennifer is passed out somewhere, but George is in the room. But in the morning, Jennifer is in the room, but George is not. Yes. Okay. I'm ready. Correct. Okay. Okay. So Jennifer is found found in the hallway by a plumber around this same time. So for like four o'clock-ish, 4.15-ish. Uh, so he calls um, supervisors and security officers and they arrive on the scene and they get her back to room 9062 at 4.50 a.m. So again, kudos to Jennifer for waking up for her massage at seven o'clock the next morning. Oh, true, didn't even, she, yeah. She needed that massage. Yeah. So when they get her in her room, they all notice that the balcony curtains are closed and motionless. So meaning that the sliding glass door had to be closed because even if it was a windless night, if the doors yeah, were open- Yeah, it would still blow in the breeze. Yeah. 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 And nobody else is in the room. So, the at, so at this point, this is seeming to me like Jennifer has nothing to do with George because she's passed out, I'm sure it was on cameras, likely anyway, in the hallway, and then somebody has to escort her to the room, and now George isn't there. But yeah. we know that he returned to the room 
49 minutes earlier. Correct. So a lot goes down in that 49 minutes. Okay. So in their original statements, the boys say that Josh went to the bathroom and that the other three put George to bed. Like they removed his shoes, covered him up, and they leave. You know why I don't believe this? They do okay. not seem the type who would be that caring. Yeah, I don't believe I, it because it's bull crap. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I know I don't know these people and I'm making judgments on them, but I'm judging right now. The people who are going to look at, you know, those who work on the cruise ship who are trying to help them and say like F you and start cursing at them do not seem the type to me who would be concerned enough for taking, you know, somebody who they just met, taking his shoes off of his feet. So and tucking him into bed. bed. Yeah. Mm -mm. Nope. So shortly after they like air quotes, put George to bed. Okay. Mm -hmm. Cleet Hyman, who was staying in the cabin next door to the Smiths overheard yelling like and it was so loud that he just assumed they were drunk and playing some type of drinking game mm. so not putting him to bed again yeah so he's clearly not asleep right so he told 48 hours quote suddenly there was an argument out on the Smith balcony this uh -oh. argument appeared to be between three maybe four individuals okay so that would explain why mm -hmm. jo Josh is in the potty right now yep after about two minutes of the argument, we heard one lone male voice repeatedly saying, good night, good night, good night, like they were ushering someone out of the room. I looked out and saw three male individuals walking away from the room, end quote. Mm, wait, there's four, though. Right, there are four plus George, and he sees three leave, so... So somebody's the still fourth? there. Mm-hmm. So, my guess, obviously, is number four is still in the cabin. One of their lawyers tried to say that one of them is a larger set man and that the fourth was walking in front of him and you couldn't see him. Oh, no. No. Mm -mm. No. <laughs> I'm just doubting everything right now. Like, no. <laughs> so, the Hymans go back to bed, only to be jolted awake by a sound they will never forget. A horrific thud. So we know now that this was likely George hitting the lifeboat canopy. But at the time, they just chalk it up to rowdy drunk men and they go back to bed. This is approximately 4.30, so just 20 minutes before his wife comes back into the room. And the balcony door is closed and nobody else is in there. Right. So somebody had to close the balcony door. Mm-hmm. So at the same time, Jennifer is found drunk and they're bringing her back up to the room. So... George, his death is ultimately ruled by the captain to be an accident. He says he thinks that George was intoxicated, went outside to smoke a cigar, tried to sit on the rail, and fell over backwards. Then why weren't one of the other three to four men who were overheard by the guy in the neighboring cabin calling someone saying, hey, our friend just fell off of the balcony onto a lifeboat? Well, they think that that's after the men left. He goes out there. But only three left. That's what I'm saying. Also, if you're just popping outside to smoke a cigar, you're not going to close the curtains no. and the glass door. No. You'd leave them all open. Yeah. You're not going to do that. So, George's family and the FBI disagree with what the captain says. And new evidence would soon emerge that would blow the roof off the, quote, accidental death claim. Oh, what evidence? 
So one small piece of evidence was there were two small lines of blood. And I'm going to show those to you, Allison, if I can get that pulled up. But there's two small lines of blood showed or found on the sheets in their cabin. And they belong to George. Okay, so Sleuth Hounds couldn't get the picture pulled up because technology is not my friend today. But I will try to get it and post it for you guys. So basically, they are two, like, streaks of blood, maybe, like, maybe an inch or two long and they're like parallel to each other like perfectly parallel to each other Hmm. so it's weird and many people think this could be from george's watch being pulled off his hand or perhaps like a pinch that it would make if it were removed gotcha so if he were super drunk it wouldn't have been hard to get his watch off so remember they tell police they put george to bed so maybe they're super nice and took his watch off and accidentally pinched him in the process now that i believe so josh continues to draw attention to himself so this is the younger 20 year old so Mm -hmm. he keeps repeating the story of jennifer and lloyd to the officials he does super weird things in the following days like asking the like ship staff if the hallways on the ship have surveillance cameras uh, and where they are located. Okay, that's a red flag. Yeah, and um, bing, bing, bing. So a few days later, he's actually on the elevator with Joan Cox, who's the head cleaner on the ship. And he is overheard telling his like shipboard girlfriend, which I didn't know that was a thing, that he said, those a-holes got me in trouble, almost got me arrested in Turkey, and I know more than they think I know. Oh. End quote. Hmm. So, even more disturbing than that, which I feel like is very... Very disturbing. mm -hmm, Is a video that the Smith's lawyer would later get access to. So, it was a lunch meeting that the Russian-Americans recorded, and Josh wasn't present. So, the two cousins and their friend. So, in the video, they're passing around the camera, and they're talking about George's death. Okay, that's bizarre to me. That's completely insensitive. Yeah, and it's not like they're like, like, rest in peace, we love you, George, you'll be missed. It's like they're laughing and making fun of his death. Oh, wow. And one of them even says in the video, and this was like according to 48 Hours, that George took a parachute ride off his balcony. <gasps> oh, my gosh. So yeah, that's... Clearly not concerned. No. So remember, these are also the individuals that had threatened to push room service attendants overboard, too. That's right. So this behavior isn't surprising, and it's especially not surprising when you when you learn that this group also had rape charge allegations circling about them during this cruise. Oh, my goodness. So in several places, I read that the Russian-Americans raped a woman on staff with the cruise ship and recorded it. I bet they recorded whatever they did to George too then if they did it. Oh, good point. Because if they're gonna record crimes, why wouldn't they have recorded something else too? Yeah, and like, um, this might've been on 48 hours, it might've been on something else I read, but they said that um, like one cousin was, or one Russian American was like narrating what was happening. Oh in, my gosh, yeah. that is so disturbing. And their lawyer says that it was consensual, but the girl is like crying in the video, apparently. Oh my goodness. 
And so this happens like off the coast of Italy and the police, the Italian police investigate it, but they basically say like, we have no jurisdiction and we're not doing anything with it. Oh, because they're at, are they at a different port now? And that's why. I think this was before George's death. Okay. So one theory suggests, and I kind of like can see where this would come from, that Jennifer and George were roofied. Oh. So they were, you know, slip. And apparently that happens a lot on cruise ships. And like, if you're given roofies, you black out and you have amnesia. So like, if you've seen the hangover, that's what happens. Mm -hmm. You don't remember anything that you do. That could explain her passing out in the hallway. Yeah. So this was the only time that night is the only time that Jennifer got so drunk that she doesn't remember anything. That's right, because she kept saying, I'm confused, I don't remember. I'm confused, I don't remember. And there was no other night on their cruise ship when she got that intoxicated that she forgot. So this is the only night that that happened. And it also makes sense now why all of the guys drank the absinthe, but George is the only one to act this completely intoxicated fool where all the others were fine. Right, and that's what um, the next thing said that I was going to mention. So it says that um, he deteriorated rapidly the morning of July 5th. There were several people that saw them just a couple hours before that and said that George wasn't drunk. And this was at 2.30 in the morning, so only like two hours before Mm. all this happened. And that Jennifer was very coherent was how they were described. Yeah, you don't go downhill that fast. Yeah, and it's really only an hour later that she's kicking him in the groin and he's calling her a hussy because they're both so drunk. Mm. So um, Jennifer's attorney says it's a reasonable possibility that she was roofied and that he might have been as well. And he says, quote, I find it strange that all these young men had to carry George back to his room. Might have been excessive drinking, but it sounds like more than that to me. I agree. I agree with that. Me too. Like when I first read this, before I even got to the theory about being roofied, I was like, she was drugged. Mm-hmm. So were they drugged? And wasn't it was it an attempted robbery? As I mentioned earlier, the Smith family seemed to think that could be a possibility. Jennifer since has moved on. She's remarried, and from what I read online, Jennifer and the Smiths actually fell out not long after the death of George. Like, they don't speak period now. Well, I mean, I wonder if, because she's alive and their son isn't, if there's some sort of, like, guilt or blame placed on her, like, for not, yeah, you know, staying right next to a side. I'm, I'm sure that would be hard. Yeah, and I also, read, side. I also read somewhere, too, that she wanted to move on, and they just wouldn't ever let her move on and so that's kind of why she cut ties to them Mm -hmm. but um the smiths are offering a one hundred thousand dollar reward for information concerning the case that would be like influential with the case Mm -hmm. but what's sad is so remember this happened in 2005 and i think i read somewhere the fbi investigated it for like nine years but they have pulled out from the investigation oh that is sad so they've actually determined there's not enough evidence to carry on with investigation. I disagree with that. Me too. And so does his family. I think that is cockamaming. I'm telling you, somebody, if, okay. And again, I don't want to get myself killed by blaming people. 
you were right. innocent. But I don't, it worries me if these stories are true that this group of people would knowingly be so mean to people who've done mm -hmm. nothing to them mm -hmm. that they would commit crimes and video it mm -hmm. that they could be so insensitive as to mock someone who they claim as their friend who has just died mm -hmm. they seem to me in all of these stories if these stories are true to be cocky enough about being safe for, or above the law that they would have told someone they would have mentioned it they would have recorded it they would have somebody knows right and I, I will say that first off so after their like initial interviews they anytime they're interviewed after that they plead the fifth to every question mm -hmm. like even like can you state your name and they say I invoke my fifth amendment right like every question are but the lawyer says that that it's him telling them to do that because they were basically told like if your story differs at all you will be arrested so i mean mm. i could get that especially yeah. if it's several years later you're right. going to forget some things right you know or remember it differently yeah and i will say like um 48 hours in the show they did caught like and basically kind of stalked one of them which i thought was like really rude but i guess people do that and caught him like coming out of work and he looked like a very professional person like out on a suit and was like he wasn't rude he was just like you can speak to my attorney which i feel like any person would say mm -hmm. so like i want to give them the benefit of the doubt and say all of this stuff was made up about them and that you know they were maybe young and drunk and that's why they were rude to the right. room service attendant and the security guard and stuff you know but if they did rape somebody, there's no excuse for that. But, you know, I mean, I want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Right. In this case, I just don't know. So. I don't know either. When a life is cut short, it leaves us wondering why. We're left with unanswered questions and an empty spot we struggle to fill. I think it's even more the case when someone dies with no explanation. When a death is senseless, we get angry. We want justice to prevail. When a case has so many clues, so many leads, but no answers. What happens next? That's where you come in, Sleuth Hounds. 2005 wasn't that long ago. Millions of people take cruises each year. The Smith's cruise ship was likely packed. Maybe you were on it. Maybe you overheard a conversation, saw something that you considered insignificant. But to the people working each day to crack this case, that sodding or conversation might just be the piece they're looking for. Help bring an end to the mystery at sea. Help us solve the case of George Smith IV. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. week.